Hello and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Roger, this past Sunday morning, you had the honor of preaching and you took us back to the New Testament book of James chapter one, your sermon title. It's available, the entire sermon, video, audio at charlestownroad.org. The sermon was called The Worthwhile Endeavor. Yeah, we're trying to, as we wrap up this year, go back to our theme of the year, which was finish what was started. And so both you and I are kind of looking at some other concepts that just kind of tie that in. And so James, at the end of James chapter one, as we kind of walk through it a little bit, kind of puts forth this idea of a religion that was worthless. And we kind of chase that down the road just a little bit. What makes a religion worthless? Uh, we talked about how it could be fake. It's a false religion that's worthless. That's not going to help you in any way because it is false. To a lot of the idols were described in the Old Testament. They were lifeless and useless. But then as James uses the concept of a, of a worthless religion, he used it in the sense of a person who's not applying it to himself. It wasn't the religion that was wrong. It was the person that was wrong. And it brought about no changes. And so having built upon that, we then just flipped it upside down like an old pancake. And what we talked about is what makes our faith worthwhile? Why do we do this? People have been Christians for decades upon decades. People have done gone through all kinds of things. They hang in there, finish what was started as we've been theming this year. Why? And that's kind of what we walked through and talked about. Yeah, especially the last verse of James chapter 1 highlights religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Why don't we start with that that first word, religion? Um Surely you don't need me to tell you there are a lot of people that are just turned off by the idea of religion at all. We hear things like, well, uh, you know, it's just me and Jesus. I can believe in God. I can even build a relationship with God, and I don't need to worry about all of the religion stuff. What would you say to that sort of person? Well, you know, when you think about that broad term religion, it, it doesn't define the specifics of what kind of religion it is. You know, religion is just a generic term to talk about someone who follows and worships something, you know, and as it's described by God in the Bible, we are to follow and worship him. But there were religions all through the Old Testament where they worshiped the Baal or the Asherah or there's the Babylonian or the Egyptian gods that they had. Elijah faced the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel and they, they had their gods. The book of Isaiah talks about people making their own idols out of wood and they'd bow down and say, deliver us to those man-made things that they made. So religion itself is just a generic word that talks about the worship or the following of something, you know. And as we see it defined here by James, he's really going to be talking about the religion of God, the the worship of God, the following of God. And, And to your question, 
you know, with, without any perimeters, without any borders or boundaries, uh, everyone does what's white right in his own eyes. Mm. And, and we see all through scripture that doesn't work. Uh, Cain and Abel, Cain, a classic first example in our Bibles. Two brothers offer sacrifice. God accepted one. He rejected the other. Well, you know, if it's just me doing my own thing, there are no rules. Whatever's in my heart, I'm going to do. And we see all through the scripture that didn't work. While Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, down there was Aaron and Israel building a golden calf, saying, this is who delivered you out of Egyptian bondage. Well, again, one cannot say that's wrong if there's no perimeters or boundaries or rules or scripture as we use that concept. And so scripture defines religion. Just how does God want to be worshiped? Uh, If we just left it to mankind, we would come up with a million different ways. Somebody may plant a little rose garden, some Fat guys might take off their shirts and write G-O-D <laughs> like they do in football games, the name of their team on there, you know. Somebody may write a poems. I mean, you know, you know, how do you define worshiping God? If it's left up to us, sky's the limit. But God doesn't say, surprise me. Yeah. He never says, use your imagination. He never says, be unique. He, the, the, those are those are our culture, and that's how our culture tries to worship God. But through the Bible, we see these boundaries. Uh, we see scriptures defining us. Uh, John chapter four, you know, for God wants people to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and so both of those are very important to that. All right, so James doesn't just use the R word religion, uh, but he describes it as religion that is pure and undefiled. Let's think about those two words that are tacked on there. What's the difference between this man-made, self-centered religion? Uh, that you were just talking about and what James describes as pure and undefiled religion. Well, you know, we, we, we use pure or purity in our culture a lot of times. You, you, you get something that's a hundred percent genuine olive oil. It's pure olive oil. It has no mixtures in it. Okay. So, so the idea of pure means it's not polluted. It, it doesn't have other things mixed in with it. There's no other ingredients we might say. Uh, defilement would be just kind of the opposite of that. I mean, we think about uh, ancient Israel, and they're offering up the animal sacrifices there to be undefiled, a lamb that was without blemish. So we, we take those concepts and we apply it to us. A religion that doesn't completely follow God, it's got some other ingredients in it, or it's polluted, or it has put in man's opinion, all of a sudden that religion becomes defiled. It becomes impure. And again, a lot of people in our culture today would say, well, what's wrong with fill in the blank? And I do that to God. It makes me happy. Well, God has defined what makes him happy. And we are to make it our ambition, Paul says in Corinthians, to please the Lord. You know, this, the more I think about it, the more remarkable it is. We know that God is pure. We know that God is undefiled. We also know if we are honest with ourselves, we haven't always been pure and undefiled. We are the exact opposite. And yet what we hear James saying is the we have been unholy, the we are thoroughly unworthy 
we can offer to God what is pure and undefiled. That is remarkable and something that we ought to spend more time meditating upon. And it all depends, like you've said, recognizing who it is that we are worshiping. If he is the object of our worship and he has defined religion that is pure and undefiled, well, what we need to do is offer him what he is asking. And though we have not always been holy, though we are absolutely unworthy, our religion can be pure and undefiled. So that's remarkable. Yeah, this is not an impossibility. If it's an impossibility, then James puts forth something that we cannot do. Yeah. But James is writing this in such a way that this is possible. You can do this, and we must. All right, so let me slow us down one more time here in this early phrase. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. What what do you think he means by before God? How is our religion before God the Father? Well, the New American Standard just renders it in the sight of our God okay. and Father. And so, uh, again, the religion isn't about the worship of man. Uh, we don't pray to man. We don't bow down to man. Uh, we don't worship ourselves. If you're going to worship me, bring me chocolate and Dodger tickets. That's all I want. <laughs> chocolate and Dodger tickets. That's all I want. And that, that would make me very happy, okay? But we don't worship ourselves. We don't elevate ourselves. We are humble before the Almighty God. And so our religion is pure and undefiled, recognizing that it's pointed to and magnifying God. And what a great phrase that is in the book of Psalms, chapter 34, it says, come, let us magnify the Lord. And you think of a, a child with a little magnifying glass outside in the summer. He's got some bug underneath it. He, he, he's really zooming in on that bug. He's really looking at the details of that bug or a microscope does the same thing or a telescope does the same thing. Here, our focus is on God. Yeah. And so when, when that focus is upon God, that naturally is going to pull us to make pure and undefiled religion because it's God who's seeing this. It's God who's receiving this. We are singing to God. We are praying to God. We are preaching God's word. And, and all what we see is we all take a, a back seat. And the attention is upon the Lord. Yeah. One of my favorite moments on a first day of the week has really come to be here in the last year or two. Those few minutes, about 15 minutes or so before our assemblies kick off on Sundays, uh, whomever is leading us in worship, we gather together in a small room and we spend a few moments praying together. The, the person who's going to be welcoming everybody and reading scripture for us, the person who's going to be leading singing, the person who's preaching, helping us observe the Lord's Supper, just all the way around. And that's what goes through my mind as I hear this phrase, that religion that is before God, like you've highlighted, we are about to go in there into that big auditorium and invite people to come with us before the throne of Almighty God. There isn't anything 
casual. There most certainly shouldn't be anything flippant about that encounter. You know, in, in a lot of high school um, locker rooms, like college locker rooms, I think even professionals, they'll have little uh, slay, slogans or sayings up mm-hmm. before before the door. And as the team passes through that door, sometimes uh, somebody will go up and touch that saying, whatever that is. It's just kind of keep them before them that, that we're playing as a team or we're about victory and such things. For us, it's just the word God. Yeah. Uh, that that's what keeps before our eyes. We, we assemble before the Lord, and so that keeps our religion pure. That keeps our opinions at home. And here's what I feel like. Here's what I want. That that takes a back row to the worship of what God wants. All right, before we're done, let's spend just a little bit of time. One of your points in that Sunday morning sermon was this: pure and undefiled religion changes you. Otherwise, it's worthless, right? And you gave us three subpoints: pure and undefiled religion. It it changes the way we talk, the way we treat others, the way we walk with the Lord. So let's take a moment to think about this talking. It's not unusual to hear even a disciple of Christ perhaps talk like the rest of the world, and maybe you you try and have a little bit of give and take, and they'll come back with, well, that's just the way I was raised. How does pure and undefiled religion prompt us to set that sort of excuse aside? Right. In fact, in the flow of the context here in James 1, he would say in verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. The idea of a bridle, of course, comes from the idea of a horse. You're, you're riding a horse, and the bridle is attached to the reins, which allows you to stop the horse, turn left, turn right. Without that, you're out of control. It's up to the you know the whim of the horse. If the horse wants to go to the water, it's going to go to the water. If it's going to run through a forest, it's going to run through. A, you can't <laughs> stop that horse because it does not have a bridle. And so the very idea of a bridle on our tongue is, I have a thought. But I may not say it. Uh, I may be angry, and I'm going to control it. I, I have a, a you know a feeling about something, and I'm going to bridle that under. And so when somebody just says, well, that's just the way I am. I, I was just raised that way. Well, first of all, that's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. Uh, God never gives us a pass on that. And in the great uh, invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11, he says, come learn from me. Yeah. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Come learn from me. That's how we learn to do that. Society won't help you. A lot of families won't help you. Sadly, some some churches don't even help you. But what we need to do is when we spend time with the scriptures, we realize, okay, I, I've got to watch what I say. And it's not just the bad words. It's the tone. It's the attitude. It's gossip. It's, you know, there, there's just a whole host of things we can put in there. Uh, right after this, James is going to talk about anger. And, and that that fits very well with, with our tongue. And sometimes in anger, we say things we shouldn't say. And so part of this idea of being changed by this pure religion is I, I now am sitting behind the driver's seat. Now I control what I'm going to say and how I say it, and when I say it. And that, that's all uh, part of this uh, learning from Jesus. All right, so it changes the way we talk. It changes the way we treat others. Someone says, well, you don't know what they did to me. They did that first. 
how should pure and undefiled religion set aside that excuse? And and from the last verse of James 1, this is kind of where we got this idea where James talks about visiting the orphans and the widows in their distress, okay. going, going out and, and helping other people. That That's what Jesus did. And and when somebody just says that, well, they were mean to me, so I'm going to be mean back. Uh, they mistreated me, so I'm going to mistreat them. Uh, that's the the spirit of road rage and things like that today. And, and what they miss is that golden rule. Yeah. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Treat others the way you would want them to treat you. Not the way they have treated you, but the way you want them to treat you. And so, so again, there's that pure and undefiled religion. You look at Jesus. They, they accused him of being a drunk. They accused him of being a Samaritan. They accused him of having a demon. They said all kinds of mean things about Jesus. And yet you do not find him responding back in a nasty tone like it was given to him. So, again, how you treat others, how you talk about them, they're linked together. And all of that is going to be uh, governed by this pure religion I have in God. Yeah, I, I especially appreciate coupling the golden rule with religion. Uh, those two things are separate in the eyes of some today. You know, I'm I'm interested in the golden rule, but I'm I'm not interested in the religion step. No, it the golden rule is fundamental to religion that is pure and undefiled. Okay, you gave us one more. Pure and undefiled religion changes the way we walk with the Lord. How does that maybe a a really helpful reminder to the person who would say, well, I just can't help myself. I, I just do this and I, I I really have no choice fundamentally in the way that I'm living. And and again, that, that concept comes from the very end of James one 27, where he says, keep, keep oneself unstained by the world. You you get this image of the summertime and this guy's wearing white shoes or white pants and he walks through a mud puddle, those things are now stained. <laughs> and so the world has a way of staining us. It, it stains our attitude. It stains our language and things like that. And so this pure religion is going to keep you from being stained by the world or changed by the world. And, and when you say you can't help it, uh, then you're saying God's wrong. God says you can help it. God is saying you can keep yourself unstained by the world. And and what you're doing is you may not be trying hard enough. Uh, just, just to simply say, well, that's just the way I am. I can't help it. That's the way I was raised. Those are really the gospels of Satan. And it's just the idea that, God, you have to take me the way I am, and I'm going to stay the way I am. I'm never changing the way I am. Well, that, that's not the language of the Bible. Jesus came to change us. Uh, we are to be conformed to Christ. We're to be transformed by Christ. And so all those those powerful expressions remind us that this pure and undefiled religion ought to have an impact upon us. And if it doesn't, then then what's the purpose? What's the purpose sitting in church building if, if I'm not going to change my attitude, my language, the way I treat others? What's the purpose of all this? And that's really what we're trying to get at in this sermon and try to show people there is a worthwhile endeavor 
And when you do what God says, it really makes a big difference. Thank you very much for that, Roger. Again, the sermon is freely available at charlestownroad.org in our sermon podcast feed. Jesus came to change us. And especially this time of year when many are, are slowing down, maybe giving a nod of the head, a tip of the cap to the birth of Jesus. Certainly the birth of Jesus we know is one of the most important events in all of history. But that baby grew up to be the master teacher whose word and will is intended to change us. That is fundamental to the life of discipleship. So thank you very much for that, Roger. It is Wednesday, 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. We're looking forward to gathering together. You're going to be teaching adults in the auditorium. Yeah, we are doing a series on how the Old Testament ends, and we're in the book of Malachi. And tonight we'll be in the third chapter of Malachi and start looking at some great prophecies that Malachi unfolds before the coming of Jesus. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we've been surveying Exodus through Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Here in the home stretch of our study, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy looking at some of Moses's last words, how it would help those people finish what was started, and even today, how it helps us as well. Roger, you are also scheduled to preach this Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. Yes, and that's going to be Christmas Eve. And as you just said, the world is focused on the birth of Jesus. We're going to walk through some of those events and talk about some of those things. And we're going to talk about this little phrase, Emmanuel, God among us. And so we're titling the sermon, Among Us. Among Us. I've got the opportunity, Lord willing, to preach at 5 o'clock p.m. I'm going to be wrapping up a little four-part series where we've been looking at our theme, Finish What Was Started Through the Pen of Paul in Second Timothy. We'll be this Sunday evening, 5 o'clock p.m in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Lots to look forward to. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. It would be great to see you tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us. 